today on Laura Lynn and Friends. You know, the very people that um, prior to the convoy were the ones saying that they backed the blue. And the ones that sent you in to beat the crap out of Canadians were the ones that were calling to defund the police. Well, hello everyone and welcome to the uh, the last days. My name's Laura Lynn Tyler-Thompson. We're going to go through it together. I wasn't quite ready here. I had a little cough on the way. Um, just preparing for this moment, so I think we're all good now. You wouldn't believe the chaos that happens as soon as we go live. It's like all these things happen. Um, so you know that I read from my dad's Bible every single day because um, I just love him so much. And he, uh, he went home. He graduated to his next place of residence about a year ago. And I miss him. And he has this Bible. And from stem to stern, he has it, you know, marked and colored in and he's you know on every single page I mean I don't know did he do that deliberately I don't know but it's amazing so I looked down today I went to Psalms uh, 102 and it says of in, in verse 25 of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of thy hands they shall perish but you shall endure all of them shall wax old like a garment as a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. So the earth shall change, I guess. But you, thou, but thou, art the same, and thy years shall have no end. The children of thy servants shall continue, and their seed shall be established before thee. Isn't that cool? couple things there. I mean... When we talk about all this climate change stuff and all of that, I just think about how God says right here that all of this will change, but God will never change. And um, I think man should stop changing the climate. That would be one positive thing, wouldn't it? Okay, so we are going to get right to my wonderful guest, Tom Marazzo, because he has been giving out interviews, talking about what's going down in Ottawa, and he's hungry, and then he has to go to another interview. So we're going to find out from him. Many of you have heard, hi, Tom, how are you doing? Hi. Hi, I'm doing really well. Thank you for Good. having me back. You are so welcome. Thank you for being back here. I know, like, thanks for cutting us a break and telling us. We're watching online, some of us, you know, the, the Public Order Emergency Commission that is going on. And this is basically, I guess to assess the situation that took place in Ottawa. And I got to spend many hours um, watching you in action in Ottawa, Tom, and you were right there at the helm. You were there negotiating. You kind of had an inside track that many of us didn't have. We just kind of, we'd show up for the news conferences. And now they're doing this commission on what was happening. And I've heard that the testimony today was like, wow, so maybe give us an overview since it started. It's only like the fourth day or something like that. Yeah, it is the fourth day. And, and you know, the funny thing is, is I'm, I'm not usually um, at a loss for words, but uh, you, you hit it on the head. Wow. Like just wow. And today we heard the testimony from Mayor Jim Watson. And uh, I, I, there were moments in that where I felt like I had gone back nine months in time and was listening to somebody regurgitate the liberal media, uh, state-funded, um, you know, CBC, Global, CTV, like all of those talking points. I, I really felt like that's what I was listening to come out of the mayor's mouth. And but but to compound that by the fact that even he exaggerated even more what was being said nine months ago in the mainstream media, in which, by the way, the mainstream media has retracted the vast majority of the lies that they had spread about wow. the convoy because they got caught. And uh, that's something that, that uh, Jim Watson didn't seem to, uh, he didn't get the memo on that one. So it was incredible, like 17 minutes into the first, uh, you know, his, his testimony. Um, honestly, I, I, I'm pretty good with keeping my emotions in check, but wow, he was really uh, testing the, the limits of my resolve to contain myself with the lies that he was telling. Wow. So, yeah. so what, what was he saying that, that you knew was directly wrong? 
Oh, that uh, people were being harassed on the streets and that uh, we, we stole uh, food from the um, uh, one of the homeless shelters. Uh, in fact, the, to the contrary, we actually delivered. Uh, and there is video footage of us delivering, um, I think it's the Shepherds of Hope uh, shelter or food bank, um, you know, talking about uh, safety lanes being blocked uh, people being harassed on the streets. We, we know this to be complete fabrications. Um, and, you know, the important thing is this, right? Uh, I, I was, I've always gone by this thing called the 1090 rule. You get 10% of the people consume 90% of your, your time. Okay. And it's usually not in a good way. Uh, or another way of saying this is, hey, there's one in every crowd, right? We've all heard that expression. And, you know, to try to say that... Um, you know, there was thousands upon thousands. You were here. I mean, I was here with you. Uh, thousands of people in the country. And so you may get one person that gets out of line. Okay. But that doesn't mean you can paint the entire convoy in the entire three weeks with the same brush of one specific incident. And I can, I can say, you know, hand on my heart that we absolutely, when, when people got out of hand, we policed ourselves and tried to contain those people to act uh, in, in a better light because we, we knew that the mainstream media would paint us with that same entire brush. And, and so when you, you listen to this testimony, you might take one little isolated incident and the politicians at every level are just making political theater out of it and blowing it up and, and exaggerating it into something that is just utterly false. Uh, and, and Jim Watson seems to be a master at this. Um, he should have gone into show business, really. I don't know why he's in politics, but I don't, maybe there's no difference. Well, I wonder if the city councillor that came out, um, I'm trying to remember his name, but he was a city councillor. And he Flurry. came, yes, he came down to the streets and, yeah. uh, you know, was there. I, I myself, I must have about 60 to 80 hours of video that I shot, like totally yes. improv. You know what I mean? Like there, there was no oh, calculated plan of how we'll shoot this. Like I just went to the street mm -hmm. and just walked up and up and down those um, streets. There was no defecating on the streets, not at all. There wasn't even no. a gum wrapper, right? Yeah. The homeless were being fed and mm -hmm. there was a spirit of hope. In fact, people, grown men, never seen so many grown men crying. They would mm -hmm. literally be crying. Uh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. It was yeah. such a moving experience. And the one thing people kept saying is this is giving me hope again, because what yes. Canada has done and, and how they have basically abused the people of Canada is, is unprecedented. It's never been seen like this. We, we would think that North Korea or China might treat its citizens this way. But so for this mayor, I mean, obviously he's just, uh, you know, a left-leaning voice that is yes. got got all the topic talking points of them. Well, on the seventeenth minute of his testimony, he actually <laughs> this, and I'll give him credit for saying something so bizarre, like that I've never even heard this one before. But he made the assertion that um, at about the three million dollar mark uh, in the Give Send Go, the original fundraising effort. It was his contention that Canadians were coming to the city of Ottawa so that they could get some of that money. Like, I, where would you come up with such a thought? Uh, there, there's no logic to that thinking. I would think that the, the um, Canadians that donated would have just kept the money for themselves and not donated if they were really that hurting for money. Like, I, I, just the 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 logic is, is they're just giving money boring. out in Ottawa. Yeah, because yes, somebody had yes. to give send go. So get there, see what you can get of that. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna drive all the way from Victoria, BC, or from St. John, Newfoundland, so I could get twenty bucks from the give send go campaign. Right? You know what? Not once did I ever think that I was getting any of that money. First of all, no. I thought maybe that would help some truckers mm -hmm. who were standing mm -hmm. up for the little guys. Uh, yes. who, who really needed 
uh, something strong to come on our defense mm-hmm. because yeah. so many people losing their jobs, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, there's another big observation that I've, I've seen and others, I mean, I'm not unique to this observation, but, um, all three levels of government in this country, uh, especially in the city of Ottawa, had this very strong desire to put this convoy down uh, with with extraordinary powers. That was the entire goal that they were trying to achieve. At all costs, make sure you squash this protest. Never did they consider talking to us. Just have a simple conversation. I. I myself, uh, anytime I did live stream stuff, was begging the government of Canada to to come and sit down and talk to us. And I mean, I was criticized heavily by by people for saying, "Why are you begging to talk to these people?" Well, because over after two years of protests all over this country, the governments at every level refused to listen to the electorate, the people that put them in those seats. For two years, there was no dialogue. Nobody wanted to talk to anybody that had a dissenting opinion. So yet we came to Ottawa as, you know, the People's Emergency Act. That's what what, what this is all about. This was the People's Emergency Act of, of Canada that we were sick and tired of being marginalized and called every filthy name in the book because we didn't get in line with uh, what we we believed was just categorically immoral and illegal, uh, the, the extraordinary steps that the government was willing to take. And, um, you know, I, I'm very encouraged by the fact that the, the truth is getting out in this inquiry, but what is really kind of disturbing to, to me today is, uh, the last two days, there's been zero mainstream media coverage of, of this inquiry at all. Um, and fine, if, if that's the way they want to play it, that's the way they want to play it. We can't control that. But, you know, people like you have since day one been on the ground and have told the story of Canadians. And, you know, what? mainstream media is on its way out. Um, people like you are on the way up. And and we're telling the truth and getting the story out there. The, the challenge is the battleground really is for that middle 40% of the Canadian public that really don't know which way to, to lean, right? They're looking for for a little bit of help on the information. And if mainstream media was true to what their, their mandate is, which would be to report the news to Canadians, that's why we pay them as taxpayers, is to report the news, not invent it. Um, the, the general public would have a much better appreciation of what it is, what happened here in Ottawa, and what we were here to do, what we were sent here to do by the supporters of the convoy. And that's another thing people don't talk about. We were, we were sent here by communities to deliver this message and have this dialogue by the government of Canada or with them. And they just refused. They treated us like uh, scum of the earth instead of actual Canadians that were fighting for our charter rights to be respected. And it never happened. Right. Wouldn't it have meant something? Like the the U.S. truckers, Tom, when when we went down there, uh, yes. I attended a meeting with Ron Johnson and mm-hmm. Senator Cruz. I saw met it. with them to mm-hmm. to listen. I mean, yes. it was so refreshing. Could they do much? Oh, probably not. But it meant right. something to be heard, and it said yes. something about the senators. In mm-hmm. in Canada, where was Pierre Polyev? Where was the people that maybe even from the Conservative Party of Canada who would have said, "Listen." We're going to invite you to come to, to this meeting room and let's, let's talk. Let's hear what you yeah. have to say. I was disappointed with Polyev personally. I had uh, sent him directly to his public email, our Roadmap to Freedom document. Uh, to this day, I've never received a response from his him or his staff, which obviously I'm never going to. Um, Candace Bergen uh, basically was trying to manipulate the situation to do a photo op. For, for her own political gain. None of the politicians, I mean, I think there was a senator I remember seeing do a, a live stream and a, he was actually even swearing in the thing. And I don't think he realized that this was ever going to make the uh, the media, uh, but he was actually supporting the, the convoy, right? So 
there's a mixed bag of, of politicians and, and, you know, even on a municipal council, you, you step out of line with the council, they'll sanction, sanction you. And so there's the difference between a politician that chooses their constituents versus a, a politician who chooses their own continued paycheck. Uh, and we see the vast majority will, will continue to choose their paycheck. And, and to one thing about Polyev, um, you know, I'm still on the fence very much so with him, but, you know, had he been the official critic uh, for, let's say, the Minister of Health or Public Safety, I think he would have, and, and Andrew, uh, or sorry, uh, Aaron O'Toole let him do his job. I think if he had a different portfolio, he would have attacked it with the same vigor that he did the finance minister. But that wasn't Polyev's job. His job was to attack the finance minister. Uh, had he been given free reign to go after Bill Blair or Mendocino, then I think he would have been a stellar job and nobody would ever think, well, what, where was Polyev? He, he, that wasn't his responsibility. It wasn't his job. There was a different critic. Uh, and we also had a different leader, the Conservative Party, who basically was a liberal light anyway. So from a political point of view, the Canadian public had no cover. You know, they, they had no cover. They had nobody in government that was in a position to come to their aid. Uh, and then when Aaron O'Toole was removed, um, now we're getting into a different dynamic because now we're getting into a leadership race for, for the Conservative Party, right? So they weren't in it for us unless it was to a political advantage, like a photo op for them. And Candace Bergen uh, did a photo op in a little restaurant or coffee shop with some protest uh, members. The next day went into Parliament and said, um, okay, truckers, you've proved your point. Now it's time to leave. And we were we were just completely incensed by that whole reaction by her, right? Right. Uh, so we, we, we knew that the federal conservatives, A, had no power because of this unholy alliance between the NDP and the liberals that, by the way, they did form a coalition that nobody knew about at the time. Uh, and the fact that uh, they, they just, conservatives had no will to be on our side but magically all of a sudden they're coming out now and saying that they were huge supporters of the convoy right because it's to their political advantage yep what happened that night before the ugly suits came out the suits where they had no badge number they had no name mm -hmm. they just were dark the certe de quebec yeah yeah so so certe de quebec is you know quebec provincial police uh i know this for a fact because i did walk up uh the day that uh can um Candace and the other gentlemen were trampled by the horse. I literally walked up before they got uh, injured by the horses. And I looked at the, the badge on the shoulder and saw the fleur-de-lis and the Certe de Quebec uh, insignia. So those members were in fact not UN, they were Quebec provincial police. Um, and, you know, we, we, we saw that the government was angling for this, uh, this attack, right? And, and they were building up basically their numbers. And we heard testimony, very contradictory testimony of, of all the infighting that the, the police were having and the government was having about the number of police officers on the ground. They deputized police officers, brand new ones, literally RCMP that came out of depot early to come and attend and start uh, partaking in the protests. So it's interesting to me because you've got RCMP members that are literally being fast-tracked through their training. They're rookies. They have no idea what, what policing really is about. They, their, their first day on the job was attacking peaceful protesters. That's literally what happened in this country uh, from the RCMP. That's a bad precedent. You know, it, it is. It is. Um, just terrible. Terrible to see what happened. Uh, and by the way, I wanted to mention, I want to mention something. The very first time I ever appeared on camera during this entire protest was with you down at Coventry when the police raided. Uh, that is the first time I ever appeared on camera in this entire wow. uh, campaign. Well, I created uh, a monster. You did. You did. You created <laughs> a monster. And I think, yeah, and I think that was my tryout for the next day because then I, I started doing more media the next day. Right. So, yeah. yeah. I, bro I helped you to break through. That, yes, yes, you okay. did. I, like, yes. I love it. That's yeah. happened a few times, actually, with uh, the mm -hmm. work that I've done. Um, 
one of the things that they've said is that it was so blocked off that um, fire trucks and such couldn't mm-hmm. get to places. And I know there's been testimony where somebody even disproved that, that there was yes. many ways to get to different places with the fire yeah. trucks. Yes, and this was confirmed again in the testimony of Kim Ayotte. Uh, who's part of the, uh, the, the, he's one of the public servants. He works, I believe, for Jim Kay, the city manager in terms of public safety. And um, he had spoken about this today and said it's, you know, it's all over the media on on Twitter, at least. Um, He confirmed what we had been working towards all along, that uh, we, we worked very, very hard at every opportunity to make sure that there was uh, always safety lanes for fire, police, and ambulance. Any form of emergency service, we worked very hard to make sure that we were never disrupting them or their ability to get to a person in need within this city. And that also means that we, we wanted to make sure that it was safe for the emergency services workers as well, because we didn't want them to get obstructed or get into an accident or get harmed or or injured in any way while they were rushing to go after somebody who needed their assistance. You know, and there is another example. I remember talking to to some people here, uh, some of the truckers that said, you know, we we actually uh, did uh, first aid on somebody who had slipped on the ice and was injured. They took, they did first aid right there on the spot, stabilized that person, called the ambulance, and then made sure that they could assist the ambulance uh, attendants getting that injured person back to the ambulance. You know, and, and one of the ways that we did it was because we actually cleared all the sidewalks of all of the snow. We bought hundreds of shovels to clean the roads and the sidewalks around the trucks so that people could pass by and people could walk. And we also did garbage collection points to make it easier for the garbage trucks to get there and collect all the trash that was being accumulated, right? And, you know, we there, there was another case I heard where somebody had OD'd on drugs and our truckers actually administered the life-saving uh, medicine to that person to revive them and then call the ambulance and get the uh, that member to, to a hospital. Uh, and the other important thing I want to highlight is we made sure to never ever go near hospitals or uh, infrastructure that was deemed vulnerable. And that included the police station. We stayed right away from the police station on purpose to allow them to do their jobs. Unfortunately, they came after us. Right. You know, Tom, I was right in front of the main stage where all the speeches mm-hmm. happened and the music and the fun, mm-hmm. uh, the, the national anthem, worship music, yes. church, everything happened on this main stage. And there was a man, um, or was it a lady? I'm not certain. It was an elderly person. They collapsed. They collapsed Mm -hmm. two feet away from me. And I had the camera and I'm like, oh my gosh. And my first thought was, how will anyone help this person? Mm -hmm. They literally fell. People started yelling. I caught the entire chaos. Mm -hmm. I'm not kidding you. Within moments, we yes. had like 20 people, the, the, the emergency services there, they had a, you know, a thing, a, a gurney, they, they put this person on it and, and off they rolled this person and heard later that they were just fine. And, you know, it yes. just had a, a collapsing spell of some kind, but they were okay. <laughs> and well, it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And even when, when the two people were, um, run over by the horses. We had our own medical team that, you know, they were, they were volunteer medical, medically trained people with big backpacks, first aid with a cross on it to signify that they were medical people. Uh, they were there and they were the first ones that responded to the people that were injured by the horses on the ground. It's interesting. The police weren't the ones that responded to that emergency or, or that uh, the, those injured people from the horses. We responded to it. I was standing there. I saw our people begin first aid on the the people that were injured. This was a repetitive theme. We understood our role and our responsibility to the safety of the protesters, to the police, to uh, any city employee. You know, the, the whole entire thing was about being responsible and safe. That was what we achieved. And we heard the testimony today. Uh, that that is, in fact, acknowledged in now a matter of public record in the commission 
um, as of today and yesterday. It's and, a fact. And, right. Are they showing video in this uh, commission? <laughs> um, showing video in terms of their This kind their of accusations? beautiful video. Yeah, no, I mean. No, they, it, it's, it's all hearsay. It is all regurgitated uh, mainstream media talking points and hearsay. Uh, when it is is defamatory against the convoy, uh, they are they. I've yet to see one shred of evidence uh, of violence or of uh, misbehavior on the part of any member of the convoy uh, uh, to the to the level of the claims that that even Jim Watson today was, uh, you know, spewing his rhetoric. Uh, I have not seen any evidence. In fact, Brendan Miller, the lead counsel for us, questioned him and said. Did you actually see any of this happen? And his answer basically was no. Well, he danced around and gave a long-winded response, but ultimately his answer that he had to conclude with was, no, I didn't see it myself. So it's all hearsay. <laughs> it's just a smear campaign by, by Jim Watson. The video that was never seen on CTV, CBC, or Global was the love, was all of yes. the, the, you know, the flags. I mean... Um, <laughs> How can you watch any of that? The children with signs, we love yes. you truckers, you know, uh, how can you see any of all of that and continue your rhetoric? Canada's being lied to, basically. Canada is being lied to and uh, it is, it's complicit within the funded media of this country. Uh, and I mean taxpayer funded. We are literally paying tax dollars to be lied to. And, you know, you get on social media and you beg people to stop watching social media. You're being lied to. Look at alternative media for your source of information. And, you know, what's really funny. If you were to take a poll, and I, and I saw statistics on a poll a long time ago that were pretty low, and I can't remember the exact number. But although Canadians don't trust mainstream media and know that they lie to them, they still are the biggest consumers uh, of, of mainstream media. And, and it just baffles me. It's like, you've got a smart TV, just watch somebody alternative like yourself or, or Viva or, um, you know, Andrew Lawton or all of these credible people that are out there grinding every day to get the truth um, and to do live interviews. And that's the difference, right? Alternative media people tend to use live interviews and you see that the mainstream media will, will chop it up into sound bites that they could use uh, as a weapon against, um, uh, you know, a narrative they don't like and use it as a, a tool for a narrative that supports um, them and their agenda. Do you think, Tom, that, um, that anything great is going to be accomplished by all of this? Like it's a necessary mm -hmm. commission, I suppose. I, I, I suppose we can have some truth come out, but... What do you see yeah, happening? I, you know what I think? Um, one, you know, this is not happening because Justin Trudeau is a nice guy and, and he called for it. He has to, by law, under Section 63 of the Emergency Act, he must do what's what's being conducted right now. But uh, I would love to see for, for the, the liberal-funded media to actually cover this, but they're not. They are refusing. It is a complete, almost media blackout. Um, that they're not covering any of the testimony. But more importantly, this is a court of public opinion. And anybody who is interested in really finding out what's going on, the beauty is they don't have mainstream media to go and listen to the lies. They have to seek out alternative media such as yourself to hear the truth. So in a, in a sense, it's kind of counterproductive for the mainstream media. They're not lying about us because they're not even covering us. So if you want to hear what's going on, go to alternative media. And then when you do, you will get the true testimony that's coming out. So for anybody who is interested in hearing the truth, that is what they're going to get. They just have to be interested. Um, and, you know, I have this personal rule of mine uh, on social media as best as possible. And I'm not perfect on this, but my goal is always to attack the issue and not to attack people personally, which... I'm not always on the receiving end of that kind of a courtesy, but if I stick to attacking the issue, then I get a better, more positive outcome. And that's what I always try, try to achieve, even for the people that clearly hate my guts. Um, that's what I try to do to try to get them to at least say, wow, you know, that guy's a little bit more reasonable than I was expecting. Maybe I will give it a second sober thought. 
And that's what I hope for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you for your time. Uh, but before you go, on those, the final days when the ugly suits came out and yes. and rubber bullets were, mm-hmm. were littered into a crowd of unarmed mm-hmm. Canadian citizens, when you look yes. back, mm-hmm. what can they possibly say to defend themselves? These people weren't even truckers. They were unarmed Canadian citizens there to peacefully protest what the government was doing. And they got pelted and actually really hurt in some cases. Yes. There's nothing they could say to defend their actions. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I figured out about the Second Amendment when I went to the States and I talked to the truckers. And I said, well, aren't you worried they're going to show up and like, you know, shoot at you? Because I'm used to that, sadly. Yes. Mm -hmm. And they laughed. They said, well, I don't think they'd try that, you know, because they're they're all packing. They got their vehicles Mm -hmm. all with Mm -hmm. legal guns. Nobody's coming in to shoot an American. No. And, and, you know, that's a very, very different dynamic. Um, Not only... You know, have they yet to produce one single shred of evidence that there were any firearms of any kind uh, as part of the convoy? They've never produced that. Um, you know, it's so incredibly hard to to have actually made that a reality anyway in this country, which is exactly why the police showed up so heavy, heavily armed to begin with, because they knew that they they got the upper hand. They got the upper hand. I mean, this is something that myself and Veterans for Freedom members and, and Danny Bulford, we did a podcast talking about this. The public knew they were going to get steamrolled if they went after the police with, with violence. Um, but that's not really the Canadian way anyway. We didn't want to show up and do violence. What we wanted was to peacefully assemble. We wanted to exercise our Section 2 Charter rights and reaffirm the charter as the the supreme guiding document in, in our legal system, uh, in, in the very definition of what makes us a, a free and democratic society, is, is our reliance on the charter. And yet we've seen that it hasn't been, um, it has not been upheld. And we, the people of this country, came to Ottawa to force the government to uphold the laws of the land. And what did they do? They subverted the very document that all laws are supposed to be uh, reviewed against and, and in compliance with. You know, and we used the law on our side. Yeah. They used force and violence. When will we hear from Trudeau? I hear he's taking the stand at some point. Do you have any yeah. idea? Yeah, so my understanding is uh, we'll get through a, a series of, of uh, groups of witnesses and then I believe the federal government members like Trudeau and Freeland will be in the last group. And I believe the, the members of the convoy. And again, the, the list has not been finalized. Um, I know it's been published, but it's, it's kind of a, you know, a very dynamic list right now. But um, I believe we will be last or second last. We will be second last. And then the government and Trudeau and Freeland and all them will be probably the very last. Um, you know, so we, I, as in yourself and uh, Tamara. Tamara, yeah, Tamara, Chris, um, I believe Pat King, I think James Botter, uh, many of the protest uh, uh, people that were were charged um, will be actually given the opportunity to speak. Um, and I know I'm on the list as well. I'm, I've every day since I left Ottawa in February, I've been looking forward to getting on that stand and giving my testimony. Um, and I know the others feel the same way. We actually can't wait to get up there and, and tell the truth. Yes. There, there's no, there is no upside to even embellishing. You know, there's there's no there's no advantage to exaggerating or lying. I mean, every advantage we have is just in the fact that we can tell the truth. And that's what we're all looking forward to doing. And I hope, it is my sincere hope that many Canadians will uh, tune in, especially somebody as high profile as Tamara and Chris and, and even maybe Pat King. Um, when they get up there and testify, I, I hope that 
their notoriety is enough to get ordinary Canadians to tune in and say, wonder what they're going to say. That's what I'm hoping. Exactly. Because I'd like to see that. I'd like to see that too. And I can't wait for the testimony because I remember you like just with great emotion, you and, and, and people that were negotiating, um, we asked them to stand down. Like these are just Canadians, like, like back off, no, no weapons, no violence. Like don't hurt anybody like begging your own country, you know, it's, it was so like, it was gut wrenching for all of us. Yes, it was. It was, uh, I mean, you were there on the last day when I gave the, uh, the announcement that we would peacefully withdraw from the city. I mean, it it was mentally and physically, uh, devastating. Um, to, to be witness to what was going on in our own country, despite the effort that we went through to just have the most basic laws of this land respected. That's all. That's what we were here for. Um, To have the rule of law, you know, reinforced, not the power in the force, in the brutality of armed service people attack their own people that were fighting for the charter of rights and the constitution to be upheld. Do you, uh, it's bizarre. Yeah, it really is. It really is. And that, that was the hard part. Um, on a positive note, Tom, do you have a favorite moment when you, I mean, that was a saga in my life. I will Mm -hmm. never forget because how beautiful it was it ended bad but let me tell you it was a god-filled god-inspired movement Mm -hmm. and i loved it do you have a favorite moment i've never been asked that question so thank you um (laughs) i don't it's a hard question it, it is an incredibly hard question um I remember uh, a young kid, uh, I think he'd have to be 10 or 12 years old. Uh, and I was out, it was one of the opportunities that I forced myself and it was the day that Brian Peckford was speaking on the stage and I wanted to see see him, him speak on that stage. So I went out, I made a point because there were some things that I wanted to see but I couldn't get to. And I'm like, no, I'm gonna go and see Brian Peckford speak. And ironically, I never got to see him because the crowd was so huge. I couldn't get anywhere near the stage. I was stuck behind it. I was um, in that crowd. It was like yeah, sardines, yeah. Tom. It was yes, like, yes. yeah, I was filming. Yes. And, and I remember walking up there and I saw this young kid who was just uh, making a peace sign with his, his fingers, you know, and, and just saying freedom to everybody. Uh, that was a moment that really, really stuck out for me. Um, that was, I, it, it was just an unusual moment. I, I don't know why it affected me, but it was, I think the, to the do with the fact that this young boy at that age understood the magnitude of what we were there to do, but yet the people down the street that occupy uh, parliament um, didn't really seem to care. Um, didn't seem there, to care. There was other, yeah, there was other moments as well. Um, for me, it's the, lasting relationships um that to this day and i and i to the day that i die that i will always have um the people it to me it's about the people this is this whole thing is about the people of this country in the in the people that i met um that's maybe not the the favorite moment but it is the the very reason to be doing all this it is the people that i i went to ottawa with and you were in the foxhole. It was so intense, right? Oh, yeah. it, it was like in <laughs> yeah. the battle every moment, every day, like, you know, which way to move. I know you guys had a, like a command center and it was super cool, yes. you know, because uh, mm-hmm. um, people need to know that you guys really, you ran, ran the logistics of everything and mm-hmm. and feeding people uh, the gas. Uh, these trucks had to run 24 hours a day and you know, in order to do what we did to stand for every mm-hmm. Canadian citizen, uh, there was a lot that went into that. I remember saying to the big ugly suits to their face, don't you understand mm-hmm. we're fighting for you? How many yeah, booster rem- shots? Yeah. 
Yeah, and I remember saying to um, a couple of police officers, um, and I, I said to him because it was it was towards the end, and I was quite frustrated. I was tired. Uh, I wasn't, you know, I was sick the entire time I was there with this cough that I got, and um, I remember saying to them, I was quite forceful with them, saying, you know, if if you can't see what is going on right before your very eyes in this country then please don't ever apply to become a detective because you don't have what it takes. It's right there in front of you to yeah. see right there. There's, there's no hiding it. It's not a conspiracy. You have a blindfold on, not a tinfoil hat. Okay. And it's incredible to me that the, the number of police that just went along with it because they were getting inoculated against unemployment, not a deadly disease. Um, but you know, I, it's, it's just sad to see the, the, you know, there were some, some really good police officers in, in the city that were trying to, to you play were both so sides. so nice and, to us until yeah. you knew that they got a talking yeah. to about it. And yes. then they yeah. wouldn't look at us anymore. Absolutely. Because we, we were like, would. thank you. Thank you. We love yeah. you, police officers. Like it was like just a love yeah. fest. And then you could tell like, the next day they, they wouldn't look at us, you know. Yeah, I mean, Danny Bulford, I remember watching or reading a tweet that Danny put out months ago saying, you know, the very people that um, prior to the convoy were the ones saying that they backed the blue. And the ones that sent you in to beat the crap out of Canadians were the ones that were calling to defund the police. Right. So, you know, oh my gosh, I'm, it's, so it's so bad. bizarre, isn't it? It's just it is, it's so it? backwards. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> It okay, is. well, we are going to be following right. this, Tom, and I'll let you go. Thank you so much for your time. Thank You've you. given us so much. Uh, we sure hope that we can catch up with you, get more, you know, as is convenient. And uh, yes. God bless you for your stand for our nation. You are a true Canadian hero, and we love you. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, there is a guy we hope to hear more from, and uh, what an incredible incredible leader he was when we were there um he was just true heart he was he was the heart of what was going on and him uh, another guy named uh, james peloso um and uh, uh george bears was there and then we had well so many i better not start mentioning it. i'm seeing all their faces because people were just uh so very, very wonderful. All right, I want to show you a couple things. Um, there's an Italian woman who has, uh, you know, or an Italian, yeah, she was, it's a woman, and she basically collapses in the middle of a television. Uh, in the green. <laughs> Imagine if you're live. <laughs> Imagine if I just suddenly go, you know. Yeah, let's wind this up, guys. Uh, let's have the dancers come on. Okay. Oh, we don't know. We don't know what happened. So many people just collapsing. It's bizarre, isn't it? Um, now, I was concerned about this. Uh, so there is a doctor, basically, um, well, a scientist, you know, and he's looking into, there's uh, been found some items in uh women's um private products and let's let's show this little video so basically uh he's taken um well okay i don't like talking about this but you know he's taking a tampon and he's uh basically putting it under the microscope uh doing science he's doing tests and he's finding little things that he's referring to you know as graphene so they're doing tests on all of these kinds of things because it's odd that weird stuff is showing up. Now, I want to make sure that I am not eating these days anything that has uh, bugs, crickets, ants, little ant legs, stuff like that for protein. Yeah, I'm trying to make sure that I don't get any of that. Anyways, weird stuff being found that doesn't belong there. Um, now, Harari, uh, basically now... JT, would you say this is from a couple years ago? Yeah, he's got hair, right? So this is Harari, uh, you know, Yuval Noah Harari. And he, he's always talking about uh, sort of progressing in our 
journey in humanity and um, who is going to be the big winner. So here's his ideas. Uh, looks like from a while ago. I'm, I don't know, five years ago. I don't know. Yeah. Looks in young. the industrial revolution of the 19th century, what humanity basically learned to produce was all kinds of stuff like textiles and shoes and weapons and, and vehicles. And this was enough for very few countries that underwent the revolution fast enough to subjugate everybody else. What we're talking about now is like a second industrial revolution, but the product this time will not be textiles or machines or vehicles or even weapons. The product this time will be humans themselves. We are basically learning to produce bodies and minds. Bodies and minds are going to be, I think, the two main products of the next wave of all these uh, uh, changes. And if there is a gap between those that know to produce bodies and minds and those that do not, then this is far greater than anything we saw before in, in history. And this time, if you're not part of the revolution fast enough, then you probably become, become extinct. Once you know how to produce bodies and brains and minds, so cheap labor in Africa or South Asia or wherever, it, it simply counts for nothing. Again, I think that the biggest question, in, in maybe in economics and politics of the coming decades, will be what to do with all these useless people. I don't think we have an economic model to, for that. My best guess, which is just a guess, is that uh, food will not be a problem. Uh, with that kind of technology, you will be able to produce food for, to feed everybody. The problem is more uh, boredom and how, what to do with them and how will they find some sense of meaning in life when they are basically meaningless, worthless. My best guess at present is a combination of drugs and computer games. <laughs> um. That's always been my question. What is the economic model of what to do with useless people? I mean, I can actually think of a few now. You know, I've been coming up. I lay awake at night thinking of the useless people. What's the economic model on what to do with them? How do we just not have them right in our faces? Um, so I, I think he's on to something. I'm just, I think that his version of the useless people and my and your version might be different. That's the only problem, if we could just all get on the same page. Um, okay, so Trudeau uh, has got some ideas about moving forward, how we're gonna get through all of this, and so he's had a few comments lately. I think one of the things to remember is flu season approaches is people have gotta get vaccinated. Uh, whether it's getting the flu vaccine or getting up to date in your COVID shots. Uh, there are actually uh, new formulations out now that are, are up to date to cover both Omicron and the original uh, strain of, of COVID. Uh, and we encourage everyone to get those vaccinations, uh, to keep pressure off of our hospitals, of our frontline heroes who are working so hard uh, to keep people safe but also keep pressures off of our economy and communities. If we're able to get a high enough level of vaccination, we reduce uh, the danger of needing to take other health measures to make sure that we're all safe and not overloading our hospitals. Uh, and I look forward to continuing to work uh, with premiers like Premier Ford on uh, delivering uh, a strong healthcare system uh, for the future. Ah, uh, yes. Thank you, Premier Ford. You really, you're a stand-up guy. Wow. You know, I, I love what Trudeau said there that, you know, if enough people get the vaccines, then we can um, reduce the danger of having to put in other measures. I'd like to reduce the danger of those other measures. I would like all dangers to be reduced. So I'm on certain platforms. I'll leave it at that. You all know what I'm thinking. Okay. Uh, Tedros. Well, here's a guy you want to hear from all the time because he's, he's basically governing how the world should deal with pandemics. I mean, after all that we've seen, <laughs> they're modeling 
was not correct. And they're now saying that they've made so many mistakes that they really need to learn from them. Um, so that's why we value even more comments from them. It's so informative. Take a listen. The team of this year's World Health Summit is taking global health to a new level. It sounds great, but what does it mean? Let me suggest three things. First, taking, a global, health, taking global health to a new level means we need a new global agreement or global accord based on a shared vision. At exactly the moment when the world needed to come together to face this common threat as one, the COVID-19 pandemic has been characterized by a lack of cooperation and coordination. When we can only face shared threats with a shared response, based on a shared commitment to solidarity and equity. That's what the pandemic accord or pandemic agreement that countries are now negotiating is all about, an agreement between the nations of the world to work together, not in competition with each other, to prepare for and respond to epidemics and pandemics. In 1968, at the height of the Cold War, countries across ideological divide came together to sign the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. Today, it remains as relevant as ever. In the same way, the global accord now being negotiated will underpin the global approach to epidemics and pandemics for decades and maybe even centuries to come. And that's why we call it generational agreement. I need to be very clear. This accord or agreement is being negotiated by countries, for countries, and will be adapted by, by and implemented by countries in accordance with their own national laws. I'm excited about a pandemic accord with all the global entities that have dealt with the last pandemic. Um, not. So who wants their future generations to be governed by an accord that is going to be signed by all of the Build Back Better buddies out there. Are you excited about that? Because that's what they're moving towards because they feel that they've done such a good job in the resulting data and science that has ensued after the pandemic response globally. They feel that they should seal that great work with a, a response that can last generations. Oh, we've got another pandemic. Oh, you know, monkeypox is broken out. This is what we're doing. Uh, you know, we hear that there's um, some, you know, work being done, gain of function work still being done to create a virus that would have 80% mortality. I'm wondering who's allowing that and who thinks that's a good idea? I think that's happening in the United States. Who in the United States is thinking after all that we've faced, it's a good idea to still be doing gain of function research to see how bad can we make a virus? Because the last one <laughs> didn't really turn out the way the modeling thought it would. And Bill Gates, of course, even recently in some comments he's made basically saying, well, we, we didn't really know it would turn out not as bad, basically, more, more like a flu. So Bill Gates talking like that, and he's all in with them. And now, because they were so knowledgeable, they should put together an accord that will, f will affect our children and children's children. For sure. Sign me up. Okay, so finally, Professor Krishnamurthy, Murthy, 
Krishnamurthy uh, is talking about Bill C-11 here in Canada and the concern about those extremists uh, in Canada. And we want to make sure that they don't have free speech. Take a look. Section 4.11 says that the act doesn't apply to programs uploaded to social media. But there are two catches. The first is that social media is left undefined. The second is that Section 4.12 creates an exception to the exception, including for programs that generate revenue directly or indirectly. All social media uh, enterprises are profit-making entities. So, of course, every piece of programming that they carry is going to directly or indirectly generate revenue for them because it, it ties to their business model. So, really, there's nothing that prevents the CRTC from imposing regulations on um, uh, the full stack of online uh, audiovisual content distribution. Now, supporters of the bill will point to two things, I'm sure. The first is the provisions in the bill that say that the CRTC must take free expression into account, and the second is that we can trust our institutions not to be overbroad. I would say that's not good enough for three reasons. The first is the basic principle in a democracy that legislation needs to be narrowly tailored to achieve its objectives. We need to specify in the law exactly how things apply and not leave it to the discretion of a regulatory agency. That's especially important because Canada is not immune to the winds of populist authoritarianism that are howling around the world. We cannot be sure that our institutions will perform as well in the future as they have in their past, and we need only look at the inquiry going on to the events in Ottawa in February for proof of that proposition. The third is that, like it or not, other countries are watching, and they will emulate our example. If we in Canada can say that our cultural policy, promoting the voices of Canadians, is so important that we can uh, regulate all online content, what's to prevent Viktor Orban's Hungary or India's Narendra Modi, who have their own particular views of who's Indian or Hungarian, from imposing similar views and pointing to our example? All of this behooves us to be more careful. So, in a way, you kind of... You know, do you have to agree with him that he's saying Bill C-11, which is this bill that's coming in to control online, um, you know, in independent producers uh, such as myself, other people, Rebel News has had a lot to say about this. But would you say, JT, he's saying that it's not a good idea? It's far too broad. <clears throat> Yeah, that it's it's far too broad, you know, but he's he's putting in, you know, uh, talking about these populist movements, you know, such as we're seeing out there in Ottawa. But I think it's just a bad idea because you've uh, a democracy must have the ability to vehemently disagree with one another where there's no violence, but you have got to have the ability to wrestle against the issues of two sides of a matter. In fact, there could be three sides once in a while, right? What I say, what you say, and somewhere in there might be the truth. There might be three different ways to look at, three or four different ways to look at a lot of things. Where, where is it okay in our societies to just absolutely strike off one group of people that's what, amazingly, our Prime Minister has done in so many ways with the unacceptable views that he feels some Canadians have. It's the same thing that Biden has done. It's the same thing Hillary Clinton did when she called a whole group of people deplorables. Biden's followed that up, you know, by basically dis disavowing and calling unpatriotic and un-American uh, certain people who believe in freedom and are very patriotic towards their flag, ironically, and do not consider themselves to be racist because racism is wrong. Can we all agree on that? Racism of any kind is wrong. And yet there's going to be those that as soon as you think in a certain way, you're going to be called a bigot or a some phobe or a racist. It's becoming very typical to be called these things. So what remains to be seen in the days ahead is this battle 
that is, uh, I never saw it coming, not in this manner, not at all. My name is Laurel Lynn Tyler Thompson. My website is laurelynn.tv. Thank you, any of you who can support us and uh, throw us a bone. We sure do appreciate it. Um, you can go on our website. There's a donate button there. And if you're able to become a monthly uh, partner, that is very helpful because that helps us to just count on a little bit in a dry season. Um, if you're able to donate one time, that's wonderful. My my um, email is laurelynlive at protonmail.com. You can send me your comments, your prayer uh, requests, or praise reports, we like to call them, when some people send some really good stuff. And I love getting that when when you all say some nice things and appreciate what we do here. Because let's face it, <clears throat> what we talk about today, everything that you just saw on this entire show uh, you're probably not going to see it or, well, maybe not in the context with which we present it um, here on this show. So thank you very much. It means so much. Um, sending an email, transfer, anything like that is very helpful. And, uh, you know, JT and I had to make some tough decisions when we couldn't get jobs in any normal way. And uh, especially me because um, I might be considered a somewhat talkative person, which is a nice way of saying uh, a big mouth. And if I saw injustice or if I saw things that bothered me, I would just speak out on it. Well, pretty soon that got into the papers. And then, you know, if, if you look around, you're going to see things that people have called me and said. And after that, it's really hard to get a job at Boston Pizza, you know? So... We decided we're going to have to go full in, both feet on the ground, fully in, telling you the truth, no matter what the cost. And we chose that. And because of that, it's because of people like you, it makes it all possible. So I thank you very much. I want to read to you. Uh, this morning, I couldn't sleep. And so I got up early and I love to put Bible Gateway on. I listened to the entire book of Hebrews uh, from about 6 to 7.30. It didn't take that long to pile through that. And there's a guy with a very nice sort of British voice. Uh, you can go to BibleGateway.com. I don't get any royalties for this. You just go on and then you uh, you push the little, the, uh, the, what do you call it? Speaker. And you push the little speaker, and then this guy talks to you for hours. He just reads the Bible to you. I love it. I started at Hebrews 1. I think I got into James, and then, you know, thought I'd get up, get my coffee and stuff like that. Take Gary's call. Um, so, uh, Hebrews 3, I thought, had this interesting part. And as I was listening, you know, I, I thought this would be good to share. So, in Hebrews 3, verse 12, it says, See to it, brothers. And sisters that none of you has a sinful unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sins deceitfulness we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end, as has just been said. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. I believe that we're at a very dangerous hour, that we are seeing the hardened hearts of man. And it is easy, and it is literally a temptation of the enemy to incite you to have a hard heart. How do we get a hard heart? I think one of the main ways is unforgiveness. So you know when you get hurt and someone has done something that's been very painful to you and you get angry and you hold a resentment to them, that will harden your heart. When you see evil in the world, and it might be a very righteous thing that you 
you think this is all so wrong, but when you see evil and you do not confront it in love and you do not let love lead you, you can get a hard heart. And I want to challenge you, some of you who are just like me, you watch this show because you agree with me. Here's what we have to do together, okay? Both of us, I'm talking to myself right now because what we talked about today with Tom Marazzo, it was very personal. I was there. I saw the havoc. I was in front of those ugly guys that hurt people. I was in front of the people that didn't care about true Canadians, innocent Canadians. And when we are battling something that we believe is wrong, will you join with me in offering forgiveness, but truth spoken in love? Will you join me in doing that and not harden our hearts, but remain soft before the Lord? I've loved being here with you. Thank you. You know, it's not easy to deliver the truth of what our sick world is doing, but for some of us, we feel that we have no choice. Because if we are silent about these abominable things, then we are letting evil go unchecked, and we cannot do that. For those of you wonderful people who are writing me and are sharing your encouragement, I am deeply grateful. Thank you for all the letters that you've been sending. Thank you for the donations and the support. I found out that in order to speak the truth, you have to become very, very strong. If you would go to my website at www.lauralyn.tv, you'll find all of the ways that you can contact me. Remember, my friends, all is well. All is well. Thanks for joining me.